This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Going to stroll to the back of the studio to sit in that comfy old leather chair and listen in along with you as we hear another episode in The Adventures of Nero Wolf. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Uh, just a moment, please. Hey, boss, uh, Mr. Tom Wilcox wants an appointment. How about one o'clock? Archie, no appointments today. I intend to put some dendrobium offsets. One o'clock will be fine, Mr. Wilcox. See the Tom Wilcox who was acquitted yesterday of the murder of that singer, Keith Hansen? Uh, Mr. Wilcox, are you the Tom Wilcox who... Oh, you are. I see. What does he want with me? Uh, Mr. Wilcox, why do you seek Mr. Wolf's services? I see. Well, our fee is $1,000 with a retainer of 500 okay? Oh, yes, Mr. Wolf will see you. Uh, what's that? Hey, what was that? Hey, hey, Mr. Wilcox. Archie, stop shouting, hey. He whispered someone was at the window. Then I heard a shot and he dropped the phone. Boss, I'm afraid we've just lost a client. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chairborne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. This episode one Nero Wolf refers to is a slight case of perjury. It all started with the phone call from Tom Wilcox and the ensuing shot, which I was sure had brought our newfound income to an early end. Anyway, there was the shot and... Hello? Mr. Wilcox? Hello? Well, boss, I've certainly waited long enough for him to come back to the phone. We may have just lost a nice bankroll. Nonsense, Archie. Other clients will rescue us. Now for a cool bottle of beer, Archie. We're almost out of beer. I better get over there and see what happened to Mr. Wilcox. The beer first. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Oh, Wilcox, are you all right? Well, was that a shot? It was, huh? I'm glad it missed. Tell him to come right over here. Yeah, you dug the slug out of the wall. Well, come right over. Boss, the police never found the gun that killed Keith Hansen. No gun was found. Wilcox said he thinks he was shot at with a thirty-two. He dug the bullet out of the wall. The murderer of Hanson must now be after Wilcox. If Wilcox is telling the truth. He was acquitted. The society gal, Mrs. Patricia Park, established his alibi, said she was with Wilcox at the time the murder was supposed to have occurred. I read the papers, Archie. Where's last night's paper? Wow, boss, look at her picture. 
Ooh, she's a honey. Archie, will you give me some beer? Well, if you move your arm six and a quarter inches, you can't possibly miss it. Mr. Wolf, this is Tom Wilcox, our new client. How do you do? Uh, Archie, the red leather chair for Mr. Wilcox. Uh, Mr. Wolf, I, I'd like your aid in finding the murderer of Keith Hanson. Me? Why do you suppose you were shot at this morning? I gave a statement to the press last night, which was printed this morning, saying that I was going to seek out the killer of Keith Hanson. The killer obviously wants me stopped. Uh, here's the bullet, a thirty-two, I'd say. Why did you go to Keith Hanson's apartment on the day of his death? I went there to tell him to stay away from my sister. We had a fight. The manager came and stopped us. I told Hanson I'd kill him if he didn't lay off. The manager heard this. Then I went home. What time was that? About 8.30. The police claimed I returned to Hanson's apartment and shot him. I couldn't prove I was at home all night. It was going rough for me until Patricia Park testified she was with me at the time when the crime was said to have been committed. Why didn't you tell the police in the first place that this Patricia Park was with you? Well, that's the whole trouble. She wasn't. What? Her claim that she spent the hours from nine till midnight with me was a lie. In fact, I'd never met the woman in my life. Have you contacted this Patricia since your release, Mr. Wilcox? Yes, but she refuses to see me. Archie, phone Mrs. Patricia Park and tell her that she must see you at once, for her own good. Time is of the essence. And what else can you tell me, Mrs. Park? Mr. Goodwin, I haven't anything more to say than I've already said. All I want is a simple answer as to why you lied about being with Tom Wilcox. Well, Tom Wilcox is a very fine man, but he isn't telling you the truth. Did you commit the murder? And succeed in establishing your own alibi by swearing you and Tom Wilcox were together ten miles from the scene of the crime? I did not. Do you own a gun? Don has one around. Who's Don? Don's my husband. Oh, is he here? I doubt it. He's never here. Spends most of his time at the bookies. Throwing away every cent he can get his hands on. I've had to cut his allowance to practically nothing. Doesn't he work? No. He studied medicine. He gave it up. He was an illustrator for years, but gave that up when his eyes were burned in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. Where's the gun? It's in the desk. It used to be in here. What caliber? I don't know. Where were you at 10 o'clock this morning? Well, I think I was with the cook. Someone fired a shot at Tom Cards this morning through the window. No. Oh, no. Archie, please don't continue with this investigation, please. How well did you know Keith Hansen? Not very well, but enough to realize he was no good. Mr. Goodwin, if you will drop this case, I'll give you $1,000 cash. Not interested. But I am interested in learning why you lied, why Tom was shot at this morning, and why you should try to bribe me. You must stop for your own sake. How will it benefit me to step out of it? The killer tried to stop Tom Wilcox. You might be next, and he may not miss this time. Go on. Why have you been protecting Wilcox? I believe Tom Wilcox was innocent. Now, I didn't want him to be sentenced to die, so... so I lied at the trial. He told us today he'd never seen you before. It's true. But he looked so innocent, so, so clean and good and decent. That's not very believable. If you don't think Wilcox killed Hanson, who do you think did it? Please believe me, Archie. I don't know. I don't, I tell you. Hi, sister. Hey, what's the matter? Are we intruding? Oh, hello, Marge. Brad, come in. This is Mr. Goodwin. My sister and brother-in-law, Marge and Brad King. How do you do? Hello. What gives? And who's Mr. Goodwin? A private detective, Marge. I've just explained to Mr. Goodwin that I wasn't with Tom Wilcox at the time of Keith Hanson's murder. Pat, why did you tell him that? 
Mr. Goodwin, I hope you will not use this knowledge against Pat. Did you all know Keith Hanson? Yes. And my husband and Keith went to school together. Keith, Don, and I were on the same polo team. Where were you at the time of the Hanson murder, Mr. King? He and Don were attending a horse show at Madison Square Garden. Marge and I didn't want to go. We stayed here. Where were you at 10 this morning, Mr. King? Why, uh... I had an appointment with my dentist, Dr. Flagg, Rockefeller Senate. And you, Mrs. King? I was shopping. Ilsa's salon, a salon dresses. Why all this questioning? Marge, someone tried to kill Tom Wilcox this morning. What? May I use the phone, Mrs. Park? Yes, of course. First order your left. Suppose you try to find the gun. Marge, that gun is missing from the desk. I haven't seen it. Do you know the caliber, Mr. King? Uh, 32, I think. It must be in the house. For your sake, I hope you find it. <laughs> Here, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. You should have reported long ago. She must be very pretty. Pat Park admits she lied. She claims now she was with her sister, Marge King. Marge and her husband, Brad, have alibis, and all have alibis for this morning. I'll check them before I return. Where were they the night of the Hanson murder? Well, Brad and Don Park, that's Pat's husband, were at the Madison Square Garden horse show. Pat and Marge were together here at the house. Impossible to verify the Madison Square alibi at this date. Check all the rest and come home for lunch. It's Oysters Rockefeller. Has Inspector Kramer arrived yet? He has, and left the police records on the Hanson murder. He has taken the bullet Wilcox brought to be checked at ballistics. Good. Pat had a thirty-two caliber gun in the desk in the library. It's now missing. Really? And boss, Pat just offered me a thousand dollars to quit the case. When I refused, she said if I didn't lay off, something might happen to me. Oh, dear me. That would be most upsetting, eh? <laughs> After lunch, I want you to visit the late Keith Hansen's apartment. Bye. Before you join the others, Mr. Goodwin, I want to talk to you. All right. Close the door, Marge. Pat didn't mean anything when she offered you money, Archie. And she wasn't threatening you, honest. I'm convinced. Why the pressure? Uh, well, why don't you sit down? Here by me. Okay. What's on your mind, huh? Archie, I can add another thousand to what Pat offered. Wouldn't that be enough, Archie? I can give it to you right now. Brad will write a check. Does Brad want me to stop, too? He said you couldn't be persuaded. Every one of you seems to have had a reason for killing Hanson. None of you apparently liked him. Now, be a good little girl, Marge, and stop trying to act like a Delilah. If you're innocent, you have nothing to worry about. You're stuffy. I hope you do get hurt. Thanks a million. Now let's join the others. Well, Pat, did you find the gun? I can't find it anywhere. Oh, Mr. Goodwin, this is Don Park, my husband. How do you do? How are you? Have you seen the gun, Mr. Park? Not for ages. You're a detective, eh? Yeah. May I ask where you were this morning, about ten? Why? Well, frankly, I was at my bookies. Where's that? I can't tell you. But I'll call him and you can check it. Were you and Brad together at all times during the horse show the night of Keith Hansen's murder? No. Brad wandered away a couple of times. and I saw some people I knew. You know how it is. We'd meet at intervals. Archie, you're wasting your time. None of us is guilty. I made a fool of myself, that's all. Tom Wilcox was such a decent man that I hated to see him have to pay for taking Keith Hansen's rotten life. If a man's guilty, why should you butt in? You never use your head. Pat is one person who thinks of others before herself. Marge, forget it. Now you've got private detectives snooping around. What are you after, Goodwin? Who are you working for? 
Why don't you let my wife alone? The case is closed, isn't it? Maybe. Don, this just makes it more interesting to Mr. Goodwin. As a matter of fact, I think you all know more than you're telling. I still think Tom Wilcox killed him. And there's only one reason why Pat should protect him. Don, that's enough. Nice, happy family. Suffering all the torments of a guilty conscience, is that it? What are you trying to do, Mr. Goodwin? Get your nose poked? Not exactly. If not, you'd better leave. Okay, Mr. King, I'll run along. Mr. Wolf will be anxiously waiting to hear about this. So long. Pet box, cook, ready fighter alibi for 10 o'clock this morning, then. Now, what about the other alibi? Well, Brad's dentist said that he didn't get to Brad until about 10.30. His appointments had run over. He wasn't sure if Brad was there at 10 or not. The nurse was out at that time. Marge's alibi is no good. And that mob at Elsa's, the saleswomen wouldn't have known their own mothers. Don's alibi checks if we can take the word of the bookie. Don and Pat, then, are the only ones who have alibis that checked, huh? That's right. Are these the reports Inspector Kramer brought? Mm-hmm. Keith Hansen's body showed obvious signs of battery. Lips were swollen and lacerated, clothes disarranged. Uncles of the right hand were skinned, nose fractured. Major contusion over the right eye. The eyes were closed. Thirty-two caliber bullet was embedded in the left chest wall. Well, what a battle. I am of the opinion that Hanson was battered by two different people. I think someone arrived after Wilcox was thrown out by the manager, and this someone gave Hanson another meeting. Really, boss? Come, let's have dinner. Then you must get over to Hanson's apartment. <laughs> desk yielded one thing of interest, Keith's address book. Marge's name is in there. Apparently, he'd known her before she was married, when she was Marge Van Cott. I see. A married name, King, was added in a different colored ink. Pat's phone number's there, and of course, Don's and Brad's office numbers. There are a few bills, but no letters, no clues. Sure. Boss, I've combed the place, and there's no... Hey, wait a minute, I'll call you back. Who's there? <laughs> Archie, you know I just like the banging of doors. Sign of their breathing. Archie, what happened to you? Target for tonight, Archie Goodwin. Your forehead's bleeding. You better have Fritz fix it. Well, my head can wait. Some guy certainly surprised me. Hanson's creased me on the forehead. The thing I snapped off the lights, he emptied his gun at me. He scuffled and he got away. And then I dug his slug out of a chair. I think it's a thirty-two. But look at this, boss. A little round piece of glass. Found it on the floor. Hmm. Very small, very smooth, and concave or convex in shape, of an inch diameter. Watch crystal? Don't think so. The edges are too smoothly ground. I'll examine it under a magnifying glass. I'll get it, boss. Oh, hi, Tom. Come in. Mr. Wilcox, boss. Archie, hey, what's happened to you? Somebody tried to scalp me. Good evening, Mr. Wilcox. The red leather chair, Tom. Archie, please finish your report. Did you notice anything else of importance in Hanson's apartment? Is that where this happened? Yeah. Well, there were dozens of gals' photos scattered around. 
Letters, eh? But no letters, Archie? Not a one. There must be some letters, Archie. Love letters. Wherever we have girls' photos and telephone numbers, I assure you they're bound to be love letters. That is what we must find. And then we'll have a motive. Yeah, but where do I look, huh? Go to Hanson's dressing room at the Club Diablo. I have just phoned the place. A female singer is substituting for Hanson. But she won't arrive until supper hour. Mr. Wilcox, accompany Mr. Goodwin, if you please. Keep your eyes open. I need the boy. Then you do love me, boss? Come on, Tom. Let's look at this Club Diablo. Well, I fixed it up with the stage storming. Here, this is Hanson's dressing room. What a layout. Dressing room's fancier than most of Met stars get. Hanson fixed it up himself. Bar, refrigerator, hot plate, television set. He could live here. Some of this stuff could be the new girl singers. I don't think so. Well, let's get to work, Tom. Take the drawers and his dressing table first. What are we looking for, Archie? Mr. Wolf says the motive. He means letters. There's nothing here. Nothing in the desk. New singer must have cleaned it out for things. Nothing in the books. Don't pass up that refrigerator. Nope. Hey, there is something here. Back of the ice cube trays. Come here. Oh, well. Mr. Wolf said there had to be letters, and so there are letters. Lots of them. Hey, here's one from Marge. Another. And look here. Really confidential letters from a dozen society gals. There's something else in the back. A bank book. You know, a singer like Keith didn't make this much. No, that kind of money didn't come from crooning. Hey, Keith was really shaking these babes down. Archie, someone's coming, listen. Quick, behind the door and grab and douse the light. Ah! Run, Marge, run! Hold it, Tom. Well, it's you two. You dirty rat. Hitting a woman. Tom, what are you and Archie doing? The letters. Oh, Archie, you found them. Archie, please, give me those uh, letters. Uh-uh, uh-uh, don't touch... I'll just put them safely away in my pocket. Besides, you didn't write all of these. Give them to me. At least give me my letters. I'll tell you what. You go on home and stay there, and we'll leave it up to Mr. Wolf. Tom, take him outside. I want to use his phone. Come along, ladies. Let us oblige Mr. Goodwin. I'll meet you at the stage door, Archie. Right. Hey, the lights. Who's there? Put the phone up, Goodwin. Who are you? Uh, Archie, what happened? Are you hurt? Here, let me help you. Uh, I'm all right. I guess. Ooh. My head. Did you see anybody? No, no, I didn't. I shouldn't have left you. Turn out the lights before I saw him. He whispered. Got away with all the evidence. Where are the girls? I sent them home in a cab. Well, let's get over to Mr. Wolf. This is tough luck. If I'm not mistaken, his next move will be to have a little get-together with all concerned. Come on. Ah, 
Once you're the door, I guess I'll arrive. Excuse me, Tom. Come in, Inspector Kramer. Uh, good one. Good evening, Inspector. Well, Mr. Wolf, got the killer? You said you'd hand him over to me this evening. In time, Inspector. You know Tom Wilcox, of course. Mr. Wilcox. Evening, Inspector. What about the ballistics report, Inspector? The bullet was shot from the same gun that killed Hanson. And that gun, I am certain, came from the home of Pat and Don Parks. Marge and Brad King also had access to it. I have one more bullet here, Inspector, and one fired at Mr. Goodwin. I'm sure it was also shot from the same gun. However, it isn't important now. It isn't important? It almost cost me my life. You can make it into a charm if you wish. Inspector Kramer, before our other guests arrive, I must tell you... And Mrs. Park lied on the witness stand. She was not with Tom Wilcox at the time Keith Hanson was murdered. In fact, they were absolute strangers. What? Sit down, Inspector. Four other guests are due to arrive any moment. Yeah, who are the other guests? Patricia and Don Park, Marge and Brad King. One or all is involved in the Hanson murder. Archie, do any of these people wear spectacles? Nope, none of them. You know why this person killed Hanson, Mr. Wolf? First of all, Hanson was a blackmailer. The girl Marge was the current victim. The letters Hanson held was a threat. I'll explain later. Well, then Pat must have thought that Marge killed Hanson to get the letters, and she lied on the stand to save Tom's life because she believed Tom was innocent. Where's this Marge King? I'll have her picked up. Sit down, Inspector. Archie, I believe our guests are arriving now. Come in, come in. Uh, good evening. Archie, cheers. Inspector Kramer, Patricia and Don Park, Marge and Brad King, and this is Tom Wilcox. We've met at the Club Diablo this afternoon. All right, Mr. Wolf. Which one is it? Patience, Inspector. One of these five people is the murderer of Keith Hansen, a killer. What is this nonsense? Please sit down. Mr. Wolf speaking. Go ahead, boss. Any one of you had sufficient motive to have committed the Hansen murder? Not one of you has established a bona fide alibi. You who are actually innocent must tell the truth, or you shall all suffer as accessories after the fact. Mr. Wolf, you're wasting your time. Marge, several years ago, you were secretly married to Keith Hanson. It lasted but one week. You gave Keith the money to get a divorce from you at Mexico. He didn't, which made you a bigamist when you married Brad. Keith was all set to blackmail you. He knew your husband, Brad, was worthy. Marge, is this true? Yes. Oh, please, Brad, I thought he got the divorce. If I'd known that, I would have killed Hanson myself. Maybe you did kill him. One moment, Inspector. Patricia, you lied on the stand to protect Tom Wilcox here because you believe your sister Marge was guilty of Hanson's murder. Why did you believe her, her guilty? Were you at the scene of the crime? Marge, it... Time to tell the truth and clear all this up. You won't be satisfied until you're in jail. Will you shut up? Quiet, please. Go ahead, Marge. All right. Keith Hansen was shot from the bedroom while I was talking to him in the living room. You went there to buy back your letters? Yes, Pat drove me to his apartment. There was no place to park, so she said she'd drive around the block until I came out. That's why she's never been sure whether I killed him or not. That's right. Because I feel I might have shot him if I'd been in your place. Because of what Hansen did. What was it he did? Keith Hansen demanded $10,000 in exchange for the letters. Pat loaned me the money so Brad wouldn't know. What? Is that true, Pat? You loaned her 10000 I got to Keith's apartment about 9.30. He looked awful. He obviously had been in a fight. 
The room was mussed up and his nose was bleeding. Yes, go on. He went to the bedroom to get the letters and came back saying they were gone. I didn't believe him. Keith said he knew who had taken them and he'd have them back by morning. He grabbed the money from me and put it in his pocket. He was just about to tell me who took the letters when there was a shot from the bedroom door. Keith Hanson fell to the floor, but I didn't see anyone. I wanted to get my money from his coat pocket, Pat's money. I, I couldn't touch him. His staring wide-open eyes were horrifying. I ran and I ran. Poor baby, why didn't you tell me? I think you're lying, young lady. You took the gun from your sister's desk, and when Keith Hanson didn't produce the letters, you deliberately shot him. You didn't even offer him any money. You kept it yourself. No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, Pat, don't believe him. Inspector Kramer, she's innocent. I know who did it. Oh, no, Brad, Stop. Brad, what are you saying? All right, all right, break it up. Yeah, so do I know, Brad. That's why you left the horse show. I thought you were guilty all along. All right, Inspector. Now you know. I don't get this, boss. Inspector, ladies and gentlemen, please. First, which of you had some medical training? Medical training? Well, Keith Hanson and I both went to medical school. Why? It is most enlightening, Mr. Park. Marge and I were nurses' aides during the war. And perhaps you can interpret this medical phraseology for me. These few lines from this little medical book. Archie, hand it to Dunlop. Will you read it, please? Top of page 75. It uh, says the form of pernicious anemia commonly found in the human is... Now, uh, Don, hold your hand over your right eye and read on. What? Uh, also common to the many lower... Now, uh, cover the left eye and read with the other. What is this? Go ahead. Well, uh... Many, many lower animals and, uh, and this, this light isn't so good. Step close to me. Hmm. Yes, thank you. Mr. Park, here is the contact lens for your right eye. I'm sure you've been tremendously handicapped without it all day. Inspector Don Park is your murderer. Don't move, Park. Keep away, I warn you. Off that gun, Park. Now, I got his gun. There you are, Inspector. He's all yours now. Okay, come on. Okay, good one. But I'll get out of this. You trapped yourself, Don, by your contact lens. You dropped from your eye during the scuffle with Archie in the Hanson apartment this afternoon. And the gun Archie just took from you is undoubtedly the murder weapon. And the gun that fired the bullets at Wilcox and Archie today. Hey, Tom, are you all right? There's blood on the side of your head. Uh, just graze my scalp. You and I must have hard heads. Well, that's that. Thanks so much, Inspector, for dropping in. Come again, won't you? Uh, this was a rough day's work, boss. Come here, Archie, please. Right. Hey, what was that business about the medical training? Marge said the body of Keith had staring, wide-open eyes, preventing her from touching the body. But the police found the eyelids closed. How did they get closed? He must have bothered Don, too, and he closed them. His medical training. Right. A layman would never touch the eyes of the dead. Marge couldn't, not even to get back the $10,000. Here's your beer. Why did Don do all this, boss? Obviously, he learned of Hanson's blackmail scheme and was trying to hook him to agree to split Marge's $10,000. Don was quite startled a minute ago. To learn that Pat, his own wife, put up the money. However, when they heard Marge arriving, Don stepped into the bedroom, 
Carmody's letters in there and must have hidden in the closet. And then as Keith Hansen was about to speak Don's name, Don shot him and took Marge's money. And of course, he planned to carry on a blackmailing of Marge himself, thinking the money would come from Brad. Yes. And you are warming that beer with your hot little hands. Pour it, please. There you are. You've had a rough day, beaten twice and lost to interesting winning. <laughs> Tonight you may open your bedroom window. <laughs> Good night, Archie. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Gladys Williams was based on the characters created by Rex Stutton. This is an Edwin Fadiman production, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin, and Mary Lansing, Jean Bates, Paul Marion, Barney Phillips, Ken Peters, and Bill Johnstone. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball and My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Favorite Husband and the episode, The Kissing Booth. We present My Favorite Husband, a new series based on Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Ten years ago, polo-playing George Cougat married debutante Elizabeth Elliott. It was a beautiful wedding, and of course, every wedding has its pranksters. Friends of the bride and groom who do cute little things to launch the marriage with a laugh. Hey, Corey, I tied to just married signing the tin cans on back of the car. <laughs> Fine, Norman. I drained the gas tank to kind of slow him up a little. What did you do, Ed? I've taken off the wheels. <laughs> Good. Now help me lift the hood, you guys. What are you going to do, Corey? They won't need it. Let's take out the motor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was all in the spirit of fun, and no one really got mad. George didn't. Oh, I got a big kick out of it. I laughed and slapped Corey on the back with a jack handle. <laughs> and Liz thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, it was jolly. We had a lovely honeymoon right in front of the house. <laughs> well, that was ten years ago. Now the Cougats are just George and Liz, still happy, two people who live together and like it. There's the suburban home of the Cougats, that big brick one with the two chimneys silhouetted against the afternoon sky. Wonder what's going on inside. Don't see George around anywhere. Oh, he's probably still at the bank. But Liz is home. There she is in the kitchen with Katie, the maid. What's this? Liz Cougat wearing an apron and cooking. Careful taking it out of the oven, Katie. Oh, I'm being careful, Mrs. Cougat. Oh, I'm so proud, Katie. It's a beautiful cake, and I made it all by myself. Oh, it is beautiful, Mrs. Cougat. But look at the lump in the middle. Yes. Katie, you don't suppose... Well, what, Mrs. Cougat? I haven't seen the cat for the past hour. <laughs> it couldn't be the cat, ma'am. It doesn't have a tail. 
<laughs> Maybe the shortening wasn't short enough. Well, the lump seems to be going down. I think it's settling. <laughs> Katie, I think we had a blowout. Oh, it just dropped a little. Nothing a new cake won't fix. Oh, Katie, now what am I going to contribute to the charity bazaar tonight? Look at that cake. Well, maybe you can make it into something useful, ma'am, like a lampshade. <laughs> oh, dear, not only my cake is a failure, but my fudge, too. Have you ever seen such fudge, Katie? Oh, too bad we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We could have patched that crack in the driveway. <laughs> well, when I go to the bazaar tonight, I'm determined to take something I made all by myself. Now, what can I make that's sure to turn out all right? I know. What, Mrs. Kuga? I'll buy something at the store. <laughs> you always go to so much trouble for these charity bazaars, Mrs. Kugat. And uh, what do they do with the money they take in? Well, the money from this particular bazaar is going to the old folks' home. Oh, the old folks' home. Well, mm-hmm. that's nice. Uh, what are you going to buy them? Well, we've been talking about a dance floor. <laughs> well, if that didn't seem practical, we'll probably just give them the money. Oh, that's a much better plan. Yes, and they can go out and dance. <laughs> Hello, George. Liz, what are you doing down here at the bank? Oh, George, something terrible has happened. Oh, now take it easy, darling. Here, sit down. Now, what's the trouble? My cake dropped. Oh, is anyone killed? <laughs> George Cougat, this is no laughing matter. I've had nothing but bad luck today. I baked a cake for the bazaar and it fell. I made fudge and it turned to concrete. I went shopping. I bought a couple of nice cakes and a lot of candy. And now I'm right back where I started. Why? What happened? I left everything on the bus. <laughs> Darling, you're such a scatterbrain. Sometimes I think you'd forget your head if it weren't fastened on. Well, that would be one way to lose weight. I couldn't eat between meals. <laughs> and your hats would sit a lot lower, too. Oh, George, what am I going to do? I want to contribute something to the bazaar. Honey, why don't you go home and have Katie bake a cake and make some candy and everything will be fine. Well, there's one thing about my cooking. It's always good when Katie does it. Oh, George, why am I such a misfit in the kitchen? Why can't I cook? Oh, Liz, don't talk like that. I think you cook very well. You make delicious peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm, I'm pretty good at slicing watermelon, too. <laughs> Well, you'd better run along, darling. I've got to finish checking this money. All right, dear. Uh-oh. I think you've got a counterfeit bill in there, George. A counterfeit bill? Which one? The one right there with Monopoly written across it. <laughs> Go home. How many cakes shall I bake, Mrs. Cougar? Two cakes, Katie, and a couple of pounds of candy. All right, ma'am, but we could have saved a lot of time if I'd done it in the first place. I know. I just wanted to try my hand. Well, it seems to me, Mrs. Cougar, that every time you try your hand, you put your foot in it. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Liz? Yes, this is she. This is Mrs. Medwick, dear. Oh. Chairwoman of the bazaar. <laughs> oh, yes, Mrs. Medwick. But I'm just going to ask a great favor of you. I need a girl to run a booth for me tonight. Run a booth? 
Oh, Mrs. Medwick, I'd be more than happy to run a booth for you. I haven't had much success with my baking or candy making today, and if you'd put me in charge of a booth, I'd feel I was doing my part. Splendid, dear. We'll have plenty of cakes and oodles of candy anyway. And this particular booth requires a special product. Which booth will I be in? The kissing booth. Oh. You'll sell them for 50 cents each. Oh, well, I... I don't know, Mrs. Medwick. I'm terrific in the house, but I haven't had much experience outside. <laughs> now, Liz, you said you wanted to help, and we do need you. It won't be a bit difficult. Oh, we'll be more than pleased if you take in, say, uh, $200. $200? That's, that's 400 kisses. Now, Liz, think of the old folks. 400 kisses, and I'll be one of the old folks. <laughs> Anything for charity, Liz. Oh, and now maybe you can recommend a good man for the booth. A man for the booth? Yes. We decided to have a man in the kissing booth, too. For us girls, you know. Oh, yes. Well, um, Corey Cartwright, he's the one for that job. He's a bachelor, and I read in the paper he's very good at kissing. In the paper about Corey? Mm -hmm. Really? A scandal of some kind, dear? No, he took a half-page ad. <laughs> You can probably reach him through my husband. George will know where he is. Thank you, Liz, dear. I'll call George right away. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Kiswick, uh, Medwick. <laughs> Katie, you won't have to bother with the cakes or candy. Mrs. Medwick has assigned me to the kissing booth tonight. Oh? Well, you look worried, ma'am. I am. I don't know how Mr. Cougat's going to take the news. Well, there's nothing wrong with working in the booth, Mrs. Cougat. I did it once at our high school carnival. Was it a kissing booth? Uh, not exactly, ma'am. They threw baseballs at me. <laughs> well, the kissing booth is different. They throw lips at you. I'm afraid Mr. Cougat will fly into a jealous rage when he hears about it. Mr. Cougat in a rage? Oh, that doesn't sound like the mister at all. He's kind and gentle. I remember the mouse traps he bought? The kind that don't kill the mice, just make a noise like a cat to scare them. You don't know Mr. Cougat like I do, Katie. Before we were married, our friend Jimmy Paterno just tried to hold my hand one day, and George just lost his temper completely. Stamped his foot on the ground, put his hands in his pockets, and said, All right for you. <laughs> I've heard stronger words than that on Guy Lombardo records. <laughs> Come on, George. What's up? You've had a smug sneer on your face ever since I picked you up at the bank. Well, Corey, I've been waiting to tell you about the charity bazaar tonight. Mrs. Medwick called me this afternoon, and I'm going to be in the kissing booth. You're going to be in the kissing booth? Yes. She said she had you in mind, but I didn't know where you were when she called, so to ensure having someone, she gave the job to me. What do you mean you didn't know where I was? I told you if anybody wanted me, I'd be down at the YWCA, sitting on the steps. <laughs> Oh, that's right, you did. That uh, must have slipped my mind. Slipped your mind, my eye. You deliberately did me out of my job. Your job? Yes. With you, it's just a novelty, George. With me, it's my life's work. <laughs> Corey, you may be pretty good at kissing, but face the facts. Sometimes the carpenter can do the electrician's work. Don't be ridiculous, George. You don't have anywhere near the voltage in your buzzer that I have. <laughs> Mr. Cartwright, dear friend. True, I am now a dignified, respectable banker. But allow your memory to take you back to our wild school days. 
I was the boy they nicknamed Devil Breath. <laughs> George, that title had nothing to do with your ability. You got it the night you kissed Myra Ponce and me down at the beach. She was smoking a cigarette, and you'd been siphoning gas. <laughs> I can still hear Myra saying, do it again, as we rode away in the ambulance. You just aren't built for this kind of work, George. Your lips are too thin. Well, your lips are too fat. Those are my shock absorbers for kissing on bumpy roads. Or you're just burned up because I got the job. All right, George, just forget about it. It's all right with me if you want to break up your home. Or have you told Liz? No, I haven't told Liz yet, but I will as soon as I get home. And Liz won't mind. It's for charity. Okay, George. I hear it's nice this time of year in Reno. <laughs> no, you always try to stir me up. But I'm not the least bit worried about Liz. Why, Liz and I don't know the meaning of jealousy. Okay, George. Be gay. Be happy. There's so little time left. <laughs> oh, Cory, you can't worry me. I know Liz won't get sore. Why should she? It's for charity. Oh, Cora, you can't worry me. Uh, light my cigar for me, will you? I can't take my eyes off the road. Sure, I'll light your cigar, George. You sure you aren't just a little worried? Not the least bit. Then take that fountain pen out of your mouth. <laughs> Waiting for me, honey? Yes, George. There's something I want to talk to you about. Sit down. All right, dear. What's on your mind? The charity bazaar tonight. Oh, yes, the charity bazaar. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't want to go, Liz, it's perfectly all right. I could just go over with Corey. Oh, no, I I'm going, George, but I thought perhaps you'd like to stay home because those bazaars bore you so much. Well, I, I won't be bored tonight. Oh? Well, in fact, I'm going to have a booth. Oh, well, that's fine. So am I. Oh, you are? Uh, which booth will you be in? Oh, just one of the booths. You know, one of the wooden ones with a little awning. <laughs> oh, those, those are nice booths. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which booth will you be in? Oh, one of the wooden ones with a little awning. <laughs> those are the booths, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yeah. they are. What will you be selling? Uh, things. What kind of thing? Oh, uh, things. With the uh, uh, tin foil and ribbons. Uh, well, you know, things. Uh, what are you selling? Uh, stuff. Stuff? What, what kind of stuff? Uh, things. Oh, they're nice. Yes. Charity bazaars are fun, aren't they? Everyone doing something for charity. Selling taffy and hot dogs and operating dark games and the kissing booths and... Yes, I, I think it's wonderful the way people give up their time to sell popcorn, and bake cakes, knit socks, work in the kissing booth. I wonder who's going to be in the kissing booth tonight. What noble, generous woman, for the sake of her community, has has donated her time and lipstick to help this worthy cause? I understand a man's going to be in the kissing kissing booth too. Oh, some uh, staunch citizen, a charitable soul who will suffer through it to help others. George, I'm going to be in the kissing booth. You are. Now control yourself, George. <laughs> 
Leah's, I'm going to be in the kissing booth, too. I, I was afraid of you being angry. Darling, this is wonderful. We'll be together. <laughs> you were afraid to tell me for fear I'd be jealous, and I was afraid to tell you for the same reason. But there's no need for it. No, none at all, because neither of us is jealous. <laughs> we won't care who kisses who, will we? It's all for charity. All for charity. I don't care how many old ladies you kiss. Uh. <laughs> What about the young ladies? Oh, there probably won't be any young ones, just old ones. Oh. Well, I imagine there'll be quite a few old men there, too. You can kiss all the old men you like. <laughs> all for charity. We aren't jealous, are we, George? Of course not. All for charity. <laughs> George. Yes, Liz? Kiss me. Now? Right now. Charity begins at home. <laughs> You are listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. This is the story of Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, of George and Liz, who tonight find themselves partners in a kissing booth at the Charity Bazaar. George will delight the ladies, and Liz will delight the men. Both have assured each other that there will be no jealousy. There they are, standing in the kissing booth, waiting for customers. Uh-oh, here comes one. Uh, oh, no, that's their friend, Corey Cartwright. George, I... Liz, what are you doing in there? I'm in the business, too, Corey. Oh. Well, haven't they overlooked something, George? Overlooked what, Corey? Well, I see the sign, kisses 50 cents. Naturally, that means Liz. Where's the nickel sign for you? <laughs> My kisses are the same price. Would you like to be my first customer, Corey? Oh, Liz, I couldn't kiss you. It wouldn't be fair to George. Well, you can buy one from him, too, if you like. <laughs> well, it isn't that, Liz. You like George now, but if I kissed you, well, grape juice is all right until you've tasted champagne. <laughs> then I can't sell you a kiss? No, Liz, let's not make old George unhappy now. Dad's getting along. Corey, I am not getting old. You can count my gray hairs on one hand. Oh, really, dear? Let me see. Which hand are they on? <laughs> George, what are you staring at? Oh, oh, a customer for Liz. You aren't getting burned up, are you, George? No, don't be silly, Corey. I'll just step to one side. Hello. Hello. I was talking to the girl, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, the sign says for 50 cents I can kiss you. Is that right? That's right. Any limit on the number of kisses I can buy? Not that I know of. Well. Now, are we going to have fun or are we going to have fun? Well, I hope no one's waiting up for you. <laughs> Shall we proceed? Well, it's getting late. Guess we'd better close up. Close up? Uh, wait a minute. I got $8 I want to spend. Well, go spend your $8 on Coca-Cola. I would, only my swimming pool's full of water right now. What's the matter, George? Jealous? Certainly not, Corey. Don't feel slighted, Georgie. I'll give you something to keep your little hands busy. Here, you can hold my hot dog. George Cougar, you should be ashamed of yourself. After all, it's for charity. Mm -hmm. Look what's coming over here. Well, kiss is 50 cents. Oh, do I get to kiss you, you great big beautiful man? No, 
you have to kiss the fellow in the booth. Corey, she was talking to me. <laughs> I'm running a special today, miss. The first one's free, and the next two are for nothing. <laughs> this is my customer, Corey. How many would you like, miss? They're just chock full of goodness. I'll take a lot of them. I'm such a charitable person. We're just closing. Liz. <laughs> Liz, you should be ashamed of yourself. After all, it's for charity. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, fella. Shall we get started on my $8, lady? We're just closing. I don't understand this. I came over here to do something for charity. Join the Salvation Army. Uh, same mess. As one would-be customer to the other, may I make a suggestion? What? I'll give you 50 cents and you kiss me, then you give me 50 cents and I kiss you. We ain't gonna get nowhere here. <laughs> well, it's been two hours and I see the kissing booth is still going strong. How much have you taken in, Liz? Not a dime. Every time a man comes up, George interferes. He got violent with the last one. Violent? Liz, what do you mean, violent? I accidentally knocked his ice cream cone out of his hand. Right into his face. How much money have you taken in, George? Nothing. Every time a woman comes up, Liz asks me if my, my upper plate's staying in all right. Oh, are you still having trouble with that? Corey, you know I don't wear one. Oh, of course. It's the lower, Corey. I'm only kidding, but I do bear tidings from Mrs. Medwick. You being a banker, she wants you to come over and help her tally some receipts. But I can't leave Liz. I mean, the booth. The, the booth needs me. Come along, George. The booth could lose just as much money without you. Well, all right. I'll be right back, Liz. All right, George. Hello there. <laughs> oh, uh, hello. I frightened you. Oh, I'm sorry. It really isn't my fault. This is the only face I've got. Well, there, there's nothing wrong with your face. No, I have nice features. They're just thrown together hideously. I don't believe I've ever met you before. Oh, my name's Leonard Estabrook. Oh, are you any relation to Helen Estabrook? Well, I'm her husband. Why are you whispering? We were married secretly, and she doesn't want anyone to know yet. How long have you been married? Twenty-seven years. <laughs> I've been circling you all evening, trying to get up courage to come over and talk to you. I circle everybody. And you know what? What? I get awfully dizzy. <laughs> well, then, why do you circle people? I like to get dizzy. I don't drink. Getting dizzy is my only vice. Do you have any vices? I eat crackers in bed. That's a strange way to get dizzy. Are you really selling kisses for 50 cents? Well, that's the general idea. If, if I gave you 50 cents, would you kiss me? Well, uh, yes. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Goodness. What's wrong, Mr. Estabrook? All I have with me is a penny. <laughs> could you could you give me a penny, George? The rules, Mr. Estabrook, 50 cents. Besides, my husband's very jealous. He hasn't allowed me to kiss anybody all evening. Oh, you're married. Yes. I don't blame your husband for being jealous. 
You're very beautiful. I wish I were as beautiful as you. <laughs> and then I guess it wouldn't it wouldn't help. It wouldn't? No. I don't have the figure to go with it. <laughs> my my legs are skinny, but you can't tell it to look at me because I disguised them. Well, how do you disguise them? I wear trousers. <laughs> well, if you won't give me a kiss for a penny, I guess I'll just have to scrape up the difference. I wish I could look on the ground and find a 49-cent piece. I'm back, Liz. How was uh, business while I was gone? Take a look in the cash drawer. The cash drawer? Mm -hmm. One, two, three, five. Liz, five dollars. Mm -hmm. I'd have made more. Only two of them were twins, and they sneaked one in on me. Uh, they all kissed you on the cheek, of course I don't know, I had my eyes closed George, old boy, Cory Cartwright comes with joyous news Oh, what could be good news? Well, after you left, I had a little talk with Mrs. Medwick And it's all fixed up you, you mean Liz and I can leave? Nearly correct, old boy You can leave You've been transferred to the saltwater taffy booth Yeah, but what about Liz? Oh, I'll be all right, George You go ahead and sell the saltwater taffy You look kind of pale The sea air will be good for you Mrs. Medwick Oh, Mrs. Medwick George, why aren't you in the taffy booth? Oh, I'm afraid it's too much work for me to handle alone I, I'm going to need some help I'm just swamped Swamped? I, I don't see a soul in front of the booth uh, Well, business is so good I, I had to turn them away Oh, they're really buying that taffy Eating it up like candy. I don't know who I can get to help you, George. How about Liz? Uh, yes, Liz. Why didn't I think of her before? Oh, she's marvelous at selling candy. Very experienced at it, too. She is? Oh, of course. Have you ever heard of Martha Washington chocolates? Oh, yes. Well, Liz eats them all the time. Get your saltwater taffy. Nice, sticky, gooey, lumpy saltwater taffy. Hello, George. Well, Liz, what are you doing here? Mrs. Medwick told me to come over. Said you were rushed and needed help. Oh, indeed I do. Well, where are all the customers? Oh, they're around. Oh, here comes one now. Hello. Oh, hello, Mr. Estabrook. I have 26 cents now. I found a quarter. You did? Where? In an old pair of pants on an old man. <laughs> Well, now you're only short 24 cents. Yes, and I'm going to get it. Don't leave till I get back. Where are you going? Chicago. I know a man there who has 24 cents. You wait for me. So that's Helen Estabrook's husband. Hmm. They say he isn't quite all there. Oh, he's all there, George. There's just something wrong with what's there. Well, Liz, here we are together in a booth again. Only this time it's a candy booth. Yes. Fate certainly does work in wondrous ways. Yes, fate certainly does. Of course, your little talk with Mrs. Medwick helped some. Oh, how'd you know? I went over to ask for the same thing, and you'd just left. You were going to ask to come over here with me? Yes. I love you, George. Wherever you go, I want to go, too. You know, Liz, there's not too much difference between this candy booth and the kissing booth. No. I guess it's... All in the way you use it. George? 
Liz? Hey, George, Liz, what's the matter with you guys? This is the kissing booth over here. Yes, Liz. Are you asleep, Tutti Fruity? Tutti Fruity? When did you give me that name? Just now. Don't you think it's cute? Beautiful. <laughs> I'll have my business cards reprinted tomorrow. Tutti Fruity Cougat, the sweetest banker in town. <laughs> I'm glad you like my little pet names, George. Tutti Fruity. What do you want, Turnip Blossom? Do you love me more than anything else in the whole world? Yes, darling. I love you more than anything else in the whole world. If I were in the path of an oncoming truck, would you dash out and save me? How big a truck? <laughs> George. I'd save you, honey. George. Shh. George is asleep. What? I'm his friend, Tootie Fruity. Oh. <laughs> Did you see the devil's food cake I made this morning? Yeah, I saw it, Liz. What'd you think of it? It looked like the devil. <laughs> oh, I meant to tell you something. Remember tonight at the bazaar when you came back to the kissing booth and saw five dollars in the drawer? I'd rather not discuss it. I didn't kiss anybody. That was my money. Good night, Liz. favorite husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow we wrap up the week with Nightbeat, followed by My Friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.